Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. We're reading today from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. And he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the God, excuse me, swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, Here I am. Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Kristen. It wasn't the entire chapter. (laughs) There's actually 21 verses in that chapter. (laughs) So I spared her the one. And actually, the lectionary gives you the option uh, to do either just 1 through 10 or 1 through 20. And the reason that I picked 1 through 20 is I needed that part about Samuel and Eli and Samuel telling the truth to Eli. So again, thank you very much, Kristen. 
Good morning, everybody. My name is Dan Cook, and I am a teaching pastor here at Genesis, and it's wonderful to be here as always with those of you here in the chapel and with those of you joining us online. Thank you. Uh, I don't blame you for not going out in this gross cold. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we're, we're blessed to have you with us as well. As well mentioned, this is the second Sunday after the Epiphany. For those of you who are relatively new to Genesis, we follow what's called the liturgical calendar. We follow the rhythms of the church calendar. And so I brought in a visual representation of that because some of us are better visual learners than audio learners. So uh, if you have a chance or are interested, come on up and take a look at that, either during Eucharist or after church or whatever. It's there for you to peruse and you can kind of get a visual of how the church calendar actually works. Uh, during Epiphany, as Will mentioned, we have that listing at the front of the, uh, the liturgy there. During Epiphany, it says in there that we focus our attention on the life of Jesus. we watching Him heal, listening to Him teach and coming to a greater and greater understanding of who he really is. So if that's our goal in Epiphany is to be understanding Jesus better, you may be asking, why are we preaching from 1 Samuel in the Old Testament? That's an excellent question, and I'm glad you asked. In John chapter 5, Jesus says that all Scripture points to him. All Scripture. And of course, as he's saying that, the New Testament doesn't exist yet, so he's talking about the Old Testament. That means we should be able to, in some way, shape, or form, find Jesus in any given story in the Hebrew Bible. And I think Jesus very much shows up in this story. Maybe not as centrally as in the gospel story, although we'll connect that later on. But he's there, if you're looking for him. But today we're going to talk about God's call, about Jesus' call in our lives. Both of those scripture passages have to do with God calling someone or Jesus calling someone. And we'll see that in the story of Samuel, and like I said, we're going to connect that to that story out of the Gospel of John as well. But a few brief comments about Samuel's story, so we have to do that kind of background. Samuel's the final judge in Israel. You'll recall, this is a very thumbnail sketch of the history of ancient Israel, Moses leads the people out of bondage to the promised land, but not into the promised land. It's Joshua who's the next leader that leads the people into the promised land. When Joshua passes... The idea is the people have made this covenant with God. God is now going to be the leader. They don't need a human leader. They have God. Who could be better at being a leader than God? But as people are wont to do, the people drift over the course of a generation. They drift away from God, and they start violating the terms of that covenant and doing things God specifically asked them not to do. And of course, when you do that, things tend to go horribly wrong, and they do. And the people cry out to God for salvation. The God raises up a judge as a leader, as a human leader, to point the people back to God. The people follow that judge, get pointed back towards God, and things are again good for a generation or so before they start to drift away again. And that pattern repeats itself over and over and over again in the book of Judges until we get to Samuel. And Samuel is the final judge who helps lead the people back to God, at which point the people decide that what they really need is an earthly king. And God says, no, no, you don't need a king, you have me. I'm your king. Follow me. And the people go, yes, and we need an earthly king. And so it is Samuel is the pivot point from judges to the monarchy. It's Samuel that anoints Saul as king of Israel, and it's Samuel that then anoints David when God realizes Saul is not the right person to be king of Israel. Samuel, his whole story is as a leader, as an anointed person of God who then surrenders his authority to the monarchy, surrendering authority. We see that someplace, don't we? That's Jesus' story. 
So I think there are three ways of seeing Jesus in this particular story of Samuel. This is very early in Samuel's life. He's still with his mentor, Eli. He hasn't heard the word of God yet. And Jesus shows up, I think, three different ways in this story. Jesus is in the call of God. He's in the call. God's call to us is consistent. God keeps coming after us. Not in a mean and overbearing way, but God will consistently keep coming after us. And Jesus is, excuse me, is the patience and is the consistency in God's call. That's one way. Jesus is in the call. He's in the call that is sometimes very much awkward and uncomfortable and creates fear. Jesus is the comfort in saying, I know you don't really want to do this, but I'm with you. Jesus is in the call. Jesus is in the call, which asks us to have the courage to say, here I am, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. That requires courage. And Jesus is the one behind us saying, take heart, have courage, I am with you. Jesus is in the call. So let's talk about each of those. I said God's call is consistent, and it is, and Jesus is in that consistency. God's call is consistent. God comes after us. God keeps pursuing us, checking in. Are we ready yet? Are you ready to hear the call? Are you ready to accept the call? If we don't respond right away, remember it took Eli three times, or it took Samuel three times of hearing God call to him before Eli clues him in and says, oh no, here's what's going on. It took him three different times. God didn't give up. God didn't stop calling him. God keeps calling. Again, not in an overbearing, not in an overwhelming, not in an intimidating way. That gets preached, sadly, far, far too often. God does not want to intimidate us into blind faith. God's express purpose for human beings is to have a partner to work with and through to help bring about God's kingdom. God wants to work with us. God doesn't want to force us into it. God wants us to join with God in God's work. So it's in an okay when you're ready kind of way that God pursues us. I look back at my own life. For those of you who kind of know my story or those of you who don't, I didn't come to faith until like my mid-30s. And I look back at time prior to that and I, boy, I see all kinds of times God was checking in. I didn't know it at the time that that's what it was. But I look back now and I can see it. God was checking in. Dan, you ready yet? Nope. Okay. Okay. A few years later, Dan, you ready yet? Nope. But God didn't give up. And I believe me, I made God work for it. But God didn't give up. God kept pursuing. God kept pursuing. And eventually I was ready to say, here I am. And now look what happened. <laughs> right? So in the fact that it takes three times for Samuel to actually understand what's going on in hearing the call of God, that only tells us that God is consistent in that pursuit, but it also tells us that God's call is often best heard and best discerned within a community context. Somebody asked me the other day, I was talking about this very passage, and they said, well, how do you know if you're feeling a pull, if you're feeling maybe you're being called towards something, but you're not really sure, how do you know it's God? How do you know it's a God thing? I said, well, the best way I've always figured out to do is to ask somebody else. Have a few people in your life, family, friends, mentors, members of your church community, whoever it is, you know who those people are, that you can turn to and say, hey, something's going on here, and I don't know what it is. What do you think? 
Now, that can bring about a fear of paralysis by analysis. That's not a thing for an Enneagram 5. We analyze every single day. It's fine. We're good. But there, are, there is a trap in saying that if you're consistently analyzing, 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 then you're never actually doing. And I get that. But I do think Scripture is best processed. God's call is best processed in a group, in a community, discerning together. Is this a God thing? What are the next steps? What do I do next? How do I respond to this call? You don't have to do that by yourself. That's why we're all here together trying to figure that out. What are we doing individually? And what is ours to do as a community? Those are both different things. But it's best done. It's best heard. It's best discerned within a community. And Christ is the patience and is the support that exists in the consistency of God's call. As God keeps pursuing us, Christ is there helping us be patient and, being, and displaying the patience of God as God consistently pursues us. Christ is in the call. Jesus is in the call that is sometimes awkward, sometimes uncomfortable, and very often fearful. In fact, if it's not fearful, you may want to ask if it's actually God's call or not. We were at, uh, Kara and I and some of the Genesis folks were at um, uh, Evolving Faiths Conference back in October at the, at the uh, convention center downtown. And there was a speaker there that talked about the idea of hearing God's call. And she said flat out, if you hear a call and it's something that you're excited about and something that you want to do and now you think it's the call for that, that's not your call. That's not your call. It may be something that you can go do and it may be exciting, it may be fun, that's great, but that's not your call. And calls can be big and they can be vocational or they can be small and they can be something in everyday life. But it's almost always the case that when God is calling to ask you to do something, your first reaction is often going to be, oh no, I can't do that. Last week was our New Beginning Sunday, uh, and Amelia and Mark, if you're watching, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your stories with us. It's a blessing to our community every year when we do that. But the very first New Beginning Sunday was about eight years ago, and I was one of the people that spoke, and this was before any thought of preaching or before any thought of seminary, so again, Amelia, watch out, because this can happen. <laughs> But I remember vividly getting the email from Steve asking me to be part of that. And I'm in my apartment, and I'm walking towards my bedroom, and I'm looking at this email on my phone, and I get to the entrance of my bedroom, and I literally flung my phone <laughs> across the room onto the bed as though my lizard brain kicked in and said, if I just get physical distance between me and this email, that email will go away. Of course, it didn't, and I did it. And again, look what happened. There's always going to be that sense of fear there when it's an important call from God. And that's okay. That's okay. There's also going to be a sense of potential dissonance or discomfort in relationships when it comes to God's call. That's real too, and we want to name that. And you see that in this story. Samuel finally recognizes the call of God, and what does God have to say? Oh, by the way, now you get to go tell Eli that his priesthood is done, and his sons aren't going to inherit his spot because his sons are a couple of ding-dongs and are <laughs> violating the terms of the covenant, and I'm done with it. You're now going to be the guy. Remember, Eli is Samuel's mentor. It's as much of a father figure as Samuel's ever had. You can imagine, as he's hearing this call, and he's got to go now talk to Eli, and Eli's telling him, you better tell me everything God had to say, which incidentally is probably an indication that Eli kind of knew what was coming because he saw his sons being ding-dongs and figured out, yeah, okay, this is probably not going to end well. But imagine you're Samuel in that position. 
This is your mentor. This is your father figure. And you've got to go now tell him his, his job's over and his sons aren't going to inherit his job. That would create fear, wouldn't it? It would create a lot of fear. Because not, and that fear, not only for their relationship, but for Samuel's relationship to God. Because if Eli reacts poorly, now what does Samuel do? Does he honor his relationship with Eli or does he honor his relationship with God? Nobody wants to be in that spot. So when that call comes, that sense of discomfort, that sense of, uh-oh, I don't know, this might go sideways. Yeah. Yeah, that's often there. And it's real. And we need to name that. But that's why, again, community and the support of your friends and your family and your church community and your mentors, that's why it's so important to be able to trust in that, to be able to lean on that. And we don't even only lean on that community, but we also lean on God. Because Christ is in the call. Christ is the comfort and the consolation in the, I know you don't want to do this, but-ness of God's call. Christ is there. Christ is in the call for us. That leads us to the third point. Jesus is in the call, a call which asks us to have the courage to say, here I am, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. To say that in the face of these kinds of calls requires courage. It just does. And that can come from the support of friends and family and community members. It also comes from remembering the character of God. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love, but there's more to it than just that. Because, of course, in the Greek, there's all kinds of different words for love. And the kind of love that John's talking about is self-sacrificial, other-oriented, faithful love. It's very specific in that regard. God is other-oriented, self-sacrificial, faithful love. That's God's very character. That's God's very nature. God can't be anything other than that. When you remember that, when you trust that, when you lean on that, that's the kind of love that supports and affirms us. That's the kind of love that sustains us through trials and through tribulations. That's the kind of love that lets you have the courage to stand up and say, here I am. When you stand up and say, here I am, the Hebrew word there is hineni, you join a long list of faithful servants of God who stood up in the face of God's call and said, here I am. Abraham, called to be the father of many nations, called to leave the tribe and the only home he had ever known and go someplace, and God didn't even bother to tell him where he was going. He just said, you're going to pick up and leave and go. I think Abraham was a little concerned, but Abraham hears the call, and what does he say? Here I am. Jacob. Jacob's living for a period of time with his uncle, and he's called to leave his uncle and that tribe and that safe place and go someplace and begin the nation that would become his other name, Israel. His brother's still out there. His brother's very angry with him. He doesn't know what that, what's going to happen there. He doesn't know where, exactly where he's going or what's going to happen. I think Jacob was a little scared. But when Jacob's called, in the face of God's call, Jacob says, here I am. Moses. Moses is called to lead the people out of bondage. Moses has spent 40 years out in the desert being a shepherd away from the people because back in Egypt, there's a death sentence on his head. And those people don't know Moses very well. And Moses is hearing this call, hey, you're going to take the people out of bondage and lead them to the promised land. And Moses is like, why me? They barely know me. I'm not prepared to be a leader like that. What are we doing? But in the face of God's call, what does Moses say? Here I am. Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, called to speak God's word of truth to a people who did not want to hear it. 
And Isaiah knew that as the call came. He knew the people wouldn't listen to him. And yet the call was still there to go and speak God's word of truth. Isaiah was scared. Isaiah didn't want to do it. But in the face of God's call, Isaiah says, Hineni, here I am. One more example. In the New Testament, there's a man called Ananias, who most of us aren't terribly familiar with. But as Paul's having his conversion experience in Damascus and being struck blind, he's sent to find a man named Ananias. And Ananias is visited by an angel who tells him, hey, this guy Paul is coming. You need to take care of him. Ananias says, the Paul that's persecuting and killing my brothers and sisters, I'm supposed to take care of this guy? Yep, that's the call. I can imagine Ananias saying, I don't, I don't want to do that. But in the face of God's call, Ananias says, here I am. That's the list we're joining. That's the group of people that we're trying to be like, to be part of when we say, here I am in the face of God's call. It's going to create some fear. It's going to create some dissonance. It's going to create some discomfort. Yep, that's all part of it. And we're called to say, here I am. Tomorrow, of course, is Martin Luther King Day. And in preparing for this sermon, I read through Dr. King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail. If you haven't read that recently or you haven't ever read it at all, strongly, strongly encourage you. Go out and Google it. It's free. You can read it anywhere. Because when you read through that, and what struck me as I read through it this time, you will see a letter that feels very much like an epistle. I know the canon's closed. I'm not trying to add to it. But there's a word for some churches in that. And just like the epistles were written to specific people, not us, yet there is a word in the epistle for us. The letter from a Birmingham jail wasn't written to us, but there's a word in there for us. And I want to read a piece of it for you. Dr. King writes, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the black person's greatest stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, in, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the black person to wait until a more convenient season. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. I don't know if anybody feels a little convicted by that, but I sure did when I read that. It's not enough to feel like we think the right things, that we believe the right stuff. That's, that's not, anybody can do that. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to act in the light of God's call? Discernment is good. Taking time to figure out what's the call and what's not the call is good. But you can't end it there. It requires you to step up and act. God asks us to act in the world as individuals and as a community. Now, your individual call may not be to be a huge advocate for social justice, to be out there pounding the pavement, doing the thing. But I wonder, I wonder what our call here as Genesis as a community is. 
Pastor Ali and Cassandra are going to start a discussion group uh, on being better allies and being better advocates for our queer, brother, queer brothers and sisters. And I wonder, I just wonder, if part of our call here as a community is to be better advocates, to act in favor, not just to say that people are welcome here, everyone is welcome here, that's easy. But being better advocates, being out there and advocating for justice, for people who are being marginalized and sadly being marginalized by the church, for us to stand up and say, no, we don't believe that's right, and we're going to create spaces where those folks are safe, maybe that's our call. Maybe. I'm just throwing it out there. In that quest for courage, Christ is the companion who comes alongside us and says, take heart, I am with you. You can do this. You're not alone. Christ is in the call. Whatever your call may be, Christ is with you in the consistency, in the complexity, and in the courage that it requires to act out in the face of God's call. Christ is there. Christ is with you. So to borrow a line from Philip in our first reading today, Christ is there saying to each and every one of us, come and see. Come and see. You're not ready yet? Okay. We'll check in again in a bit. But come and see. Because God's call is consistent. And even if it makes you uncomfortable, God provides you the means to have the courage to act on it. Christ is in each and every one of us. As we show up for each other to say, here I am, or to affirm our community members saying, here I am, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Will you be that for me? Can I be that for you? Can we be that for each other? That member that says, tell me more. What are you hearing? What are you feeling? What do you think that call might be? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I think that call might be. We're here as a community to be that for each other and to recognize Christ in God's call. Would somebody please say amen? Amen. amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.